This City Wire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. Scottish Mortgage is considered the flagship trust of Edinburgh-based investment managers Bailey Gifford and is the UK's largest investment trust. As with any investment, please note capital is at risk. To find out more, please visit scottishmortgageit.com. Hello, my name is John Schaefer and welcome to The Wealth Show from CityWire. Earlier this week, I spoke with Sue Nofka, head of UK equities at Schroders, about investing in the UK market despite recessionary fears. She spoke about why FTSE large caps aren't necessarily tied to the health of the UK economy, but also why some mid caps shouldn't be disregarded. Well, Sue, thank you so much for, for joining me this morning. Um, obviously, we're, we're here on Monday morning and the, the FTSE's down 1.8%, FTSE 250's down 2.4% on sort of the latest ONS data that's reporting a 0.3% contraction in the UK economy in April. Um, how as an investor do you approach UK investing amid these recessionary fears? We don't, as UK investors, think about just the UK economy in isolation. So I would suggest that the, the market weakness that we're seeing this morning is as much, if not more, to do with the US inflation figures that came out on Friday and what that means for the US economy. Because actually, when we look at the UK stock market, it's not the best proxy for the UK economy. And the best illustrations for that is just to look at the revenue um, geographic sourcing for the FTSE 100 is only 23% from the UK economy. But be that as it may, the, the, the 250 is, is down further than the, the FTSE 100. It is. And, and, and that is about 43% sourcing sales from the UK. So you can see why the, the FTSE mid cap it is down to a, a greater extent today, but but also um, this year to date as well. So, so that sort of recessionary potential recessionary environment in the UK doesn't worry you too much. Well, it it's clearly of concern, um, but that's the the future, and and we're we're dealing with a number of concerns. So, the UK economy is not the only fear that, that investors are, are dealing with. It's the level of inflation. What, what does monetary tightening need to do? There are a number of secular concerns. The, there's the conflict between Ukraine uh, and Russia. There are some political risks. There's the weakness uh, of the pound. There's tight labour markets. But taking that all together, the, these are worries that investors have been grappling with for a little bit of time. And the valuation uh, of the UK equity market is already low, reflecting many uh, of these fears uh, and probably so, some other um, issues that, that I haven't touched on yet. No. I mean, oh, oh, so, sorry, carry on. So I think it, it is a balance between what it is you're paying for. Often uh, at times when the outlook looks rosy, 
uh, and everyone is optimistic, much of that optimism is already baked into share prices uh, and equity market valuations uh, and that might not actually be the the best time to deploy um, investment funds. Carrying on, on on the inflation issue obviously this is a, a global issue but the UK is set for the highest inflation among the G7 countries until 2024 and you know paired with these lower growth prospects I mean how do you approach investing in the UK market in, in that kind of inflationary environment? That's a, a very pertinent question. So stagflation, that combination of, of weaker or no growth together with higher inflation is a very tough combination. Uh, and it's a combination that investors in the UK uh, and globally have really not had to deal with for many decades. So this this is something that that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. It's a challenge both for the the companies running businesses, it's a challenge for politicians and monetary authorities, uh, as well as a challenge for investors. The way I think about it it is really to assess which sectors and which, which companies are better place than others to cope with this higher inflation. Either, you know, what they can do with with pricing, what they can do with a cost base. Have they got assets that that are robust? Have they got um, elements of of uniqueness and pricing power? Uh, And really to, to focus portfolio investments more in that area. Could you give some examples of sectors or companies that you think are are going to be more resilient to this stagflationary environment over the next 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, what's driving inflation to a large extent is commodity prices, as we know. But that means that the oil and mining companies are reasonably well placed to cope with the um, impetus of of inflation that we're seeing, there will be an element of of risk of demand destruction if prices get too high or indeed of substitution. So we would see renewable energy as being a substitute for all. That that should be good overall. And, And many of the oil companies are also developing their their renewables businesses. There may be for power companies uh, and mining companies other risks of windfall taxes or higher economic rent. So these are not areas that are risk-free. It's a question of best of of a bad um, selection. Then there are a number of infrastructure um, companies and assets. They could be telecommunications networks, they could be regulated utilities, bus and rail type companies, um, property companies, which have all got um, inflation linked revenues or um, regulated asset bases, which increase with inflation and the returns are based on that regulated asset base. The, these are areas that, that we're quite um, favoured. 
I wanted to drill down a little bit into your best stock opportunities at the moment. And are you seeing it all at the large cap end? We've, we've discussed large caps implicitly by sort of them being very much international businesses. Are those the only places where there are opportunities? Absolutely not. No, um, we we maintain a, a balance throughout portfolios. So we've probably got about quarter of the portfolio invested in mid caps uh, and the balance in large caps, but not all the mega caps. Uh, and we are seeing um, a number of opportunities are on valuation prospects that we think that the market is mispricing as really quite attractive. And our investment approach is to take a longer term view. That, that's really a time horizon uh, of around three years. And that makes, means that we can look through some of the, the negatives are on our doorstep, so, so to speak, to really look at, at what the franchise of a company should be worth. And in that way, we, we share some of the same characteristics as the, the buyers for um, equities that we've seen in terms of merger and acquisition activity, in terms of private equity uh, and corporates. And, and are there any particular names that you're bullish on in the mid-cap end? So what, what we've been doing really over the last six to, to 12 months is lightening up on some of the consumer names which are going to, to bear the brunt of that squeeze from inflation. So whether that's house builders, some of the retailers such as Next, Travis Perkins, uh, and also Unilever. Uh, and we've been adding to, to some of those infrastructure type plays such as BT, some of those um, unique assets in the mid caps uh, would highlight Convertech, which is um, a healthcare supplies company, which is really going through a turnaround. I'd highlight uh, defence services business Kinetic, which had a problematic contract um, and uh, write down in the autumn of last year. Quite unusual for that that company, which has been a very solid grower. The share price and valuation was hit hard. And we thought, felt that that was unfair given the, the attractive longer term prospects. So that's one we had added to. We've been adding to, for example, Trainline, which had been hard hit by um, the government's likely intervention in setting up its own platform. Uh, and we've been adding to both Pearson and Johnson Matthey earlier this year both of which are going through some transitions and investment phases. And the market's just a bit unsure as to how that plays out, a bit of weakness in short-term earnings. But we feel the franchise really is a very valuable one in each case uh, on a longer-term view. So those are the examples of things that we've been doing in portfolios over the last six months or so. Looking more at the the large cap end, um, you know, you hold some of the FTSE 100 leaders, some of the energy companies, miners, etc. Um, are there any companies that you're, you're really avoiding at the large cap end? Yeah, so there, there are probably um, a couple of key areas. And one would be largely the defensive consumer staples companies such as Diageo, um, Unilever, Racket Bank Keyser, um, the tobacco companies. And 
partly that that's valuation. The, you know, in many cases, they have um, attractive characteristics as businesses. They're, they're well run. They have some defensiveness uh, around them, and they're very international. But they also have some, some pressures, uh, and they have been quite well-loved, highly valued compared to other areas of the market. And we just don't see the attractions uh, of investing our, our capital in those areas. The other area that, that we are lighter on are some of the more growth areas uh, of the market. Again, areas that have been well loved in, in recent years, such as Experian, um, for, for example. Uh, and again, it is valuation that puts us off um, investing in those areas at the current time. Um, you mentioned some of the areas you're avoiding, including you know, Diageo and some of the tobacco companies. Is, is there an ESG element to that? There, there is to an extent in that we felt that the valuation upside to the tobacco companies is likely to be somewhat capped by ESG considerations. And when we've looked at the portfolio as a whole, we've preferred putting our capital to work in areas where there is some ESG debate, big oils and, and miners, for example, but we think that they can play an important role in energy and economic transition to um, a new world. So that, that's the way we've, we've balanced ESG within the portfolio as a whole. Um, you, you've obviously mentioned that the UK market has been largely unloved in recent years, um, especially compared with the US. Do you think there's going to be a bit of a, a role reversal? Um, obviously, there's a bit more of a prominence of value plays in the UK market. Yes. So um, what has held the UK back in the last six years or so has been a lack of tech and a, a lack of exposure to growth companies, which have tended to be highly rated, uh, and a large exposure to oils, commodities uh, and defensive areas, such as healthcare and those consumer defensives that we just talked about. Uh, and that's been a drag until this year where actually those lower rated oils and commodities, some of the defensive characteristics um, that, that we've talked about with utilities in particular and healthcare, they, these have been areas that have performed pretty robustly or certainly have not lost value in a market that's really struggling to adapt to tighter monetary policy after many, many years of very loose policy. And it's this re-evaluation of the valuation of stock markets in response to that increased discount rate that, that we're grappling with as investors. Obviously, it's been a, a pretty tumultuous um, year to date. Perhaps you could go into some of the positions you've been adding to or even buying new positions and, and some that you have been culling in this environment? Yes, indeed. There haven't been too many brand new ideas into the portfolio. What, what we have sought to do is increase our conviction in some of our pre-existing names. So at the beginning of the year, we were adding to Shell, we were adding to Johnson Matthew, 
we're adding to Standard Chartered uh, and Lloyd's. We talked about um, leaning into Kinetic, that that weakness. We added to the the gambling companies such as Flutter and 888. Uh, and more recently, we've been adding to some of the, the power companies. So all of those are examples of augmenting conviction in positions where share prices had been weak and we felt that was a longer term opportunity that we wanted to take advantage of. Where we've been lightening up have been um, some of the commodity companies which had really had super strong performance against the oil companies over the prior three years. So we've been lightening up in some of the iron ore producers such as BHP to, to bolster our position in Shell. We've been selling down or out some of those consumer stocks, which are fantastic companies, but just going to, to face quite a significant squeeze compared to the, the recent years. So we've sold out of Next, we've exited Travis Perkins, we've sold house building names, be that Bistry or Taylor Wimpy or Persimmon. And we had lightened up at the back end of last year our positions in Unilever. Looking at the political uncertainty in the UK market, um, I, I know you did mention that the UK market is very sort of international based, but does that impinge on the attractiveness on the market for, for other international investors? Are there going to be some, some raised eyebrows with all the political uncertainty at the moment in the UK? Yes, there are always raised eyebrows about UK politics. Uh, and I think the way it, it expresses itself it, is that reluctance. The UK has felt like it, it's in the do, too difficult pile for the last six years around Brexit and the fallout uh, and what, what that means. I think more than that, more, more seriously the, than that level of uncertainty is the way it impinges on the value of sterling. Now, I know the dollar has been strong internationally, but I think it's fair to say that sterling has been particularly weak over the last six years. And it's that um, sterling weakness that, that does have more of an impact on that more domestic mid-cap space because they tend to be more importers uh, of components or their inventories. And the larger cap um, companies tend to actually have a benefit to their earnings from the translation of their overseas profits. Uh, and sometimes the, the dividends. So it's an interesting situation within the, the overall um, market that tends to favour those international large caps or elements of international mid caps over the domestic. Excellent. Well, Sue, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you very much, John. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.